1: Welcome you know to the Midas Touch podcast, Ben, Brett, and Jordy. We got a great episode today. We got Hal Sparkle. Let's go on oh, the podcast. Baby. Some great stuff to talk about today, but I think we basically should go into what everyone really wants to hear about, our conversation that we had last night. Something with-
2: happened this weekend, brother? Something uh, yeah. something uh, interesting happened? How was your weekend? All Good?
1: Yeah, the, the weekend was an interesting one um, where it began.
2: I think Saturday was a normal day. I was in New York. I flew back from New York. Sunday, Sunday the craziest day. One of the craziest days of my life from start to finish. Uh, yeah, so I think Sunday it's almost morning, funny if I broke it down. But why, why don't you start and then I'll I'll finish.
1: Yeah, we could do it. We could do it Rashomonic style. I'll give it from each perspective. So <laughs> on Sunday morning, I start getting notifications from some random account called Wokal or something which basically says that it is the three Mycelus brothers who are behind a unified, sophisticated cabal that is there to completely boycott Spotify and cancel Joe Rogan. What Wokal, whatever this random account is, apparently didn't realize is that we actually took a different view than that on our podcast publicly. We act one, our podcast is on Spotify, number one, which we've gotten pushback <laughs> from from our own people. Number two, on the podcast, we said we don't think that you should have to cancel Spotify. You know, with regards to whether Joe Rogan should or shouldn't be, we said that's a decision that's up for the market. And we said that it should be on progressives, liberals, people who care about pro-democracy to spend our time competing in these spaces and having better content. That literally is what we said on the air. But nonetheless, the implication was on this vocal account and the accounts that retweeted the though. I mean, Brett, I, I, I'm i not going out in the limb here that it's three Jewish brothers who created a cabal and that we are leading this effort to do it. And so they point to the fact that Midas Touch is partners with Patriot takes. The same way an entity could have multiple subsidiaries or affiliates or things like that. We don't tell this patriot takes account what they can say or what they don't say. They came to us, what, six months ago, nine months ago because they were afraid of death threats. We say we partner with them. We've given them compliance support. We give them legal support. It says it right there. No one's hiding it, but they can say their own views. But by the way, their view never has been to cancel Spotify or boycott Spotify they thought after listening to joe rogan's apology where joe rogan says he was taking out of context and videos emerged of him clearly not saying things out of context it's their view that he should be terminated in the united states of america people are allowed to hold those views i'm not going to tell the people at patriot takes what they can or can't say and i want to have after getting your uh, perspective read on this a conversation about cancel culture and all these bullshit terms because uh, an account that has four hundred thousand followers called patriot takes that either amplifies and retweets videos that are made by in this case we know the video that was circulating about joe rogan was made by alex jones alex jones that- video but that they have a First Amendment right to be critical. That's not cancel culture. By the way, it's literally what
2: Patriot Takes is designed for. Patriot Takes is we go and we expose what's going on in the right wing. Literally, that is the stated mission and their partnership with Midas Touch is literally in their bio, which is apparently a point that, and we'll get into this later, that Portnoy couldn't get over. Well, why are you in their bio then? Why are you in their bio? Because we're partners with them. And then people go, oh, but you use the
1: same PO box. Yeah, because we told them which compliance officer to hire and the way political action Action committees work is they're attached to a compliance officer. So one PO box is often attached to 30, 50, sometimes 100 different packs. So this particular address has Republicans at it as well. So are the Republicans attached to this whole cabal or whatever? But then, you know, I think very problematically. You know, Dave Portnoy retweets this vocal account when we had the conversation with Dave, he says that he doesn't even know who vocal is, but he retweeted it. He said the fact that our names appeared in his like follower list when he looks at Patriot takes and some other random account called like resist programming or something that therefore that we're associated with them because our accounts follow him but what he didn't realize Brett as you pointed out is that because he follows us the Twitter algorithms put us at the top of his list <laughs> when he sees it and so that's why it was there uh, but then Dave Portnoy went on a you know a tear and started saying you know all these things about us
2: and then he let's said let's be clear well, Brett the the scope of his so the reason why he was so upset with this account that you said the resist It was the resist programming one. The reason why he was so pissed off about it was because they had released the video. I don't even know how long ago, but exposing a lot of things that Dave Portnoy had said, a lot of the hateful, racist, sexist, misogynistic things that Portnoy had said that they put out. So he was saying, oh, the same group that targeted me, this must be the same group that targeted uh, Rogan. And so he goes off. He starts saying, I figured it out. I figured it out who's behind this whole hit. It's an orchestrated by this democratic group. And people were like, oh my God, is Hillary Clinton funding this? Is the DNC? Is like all the wackiest conspiracy theories that you could imagine. And his entire proof, his entire thesis was because that account followed us and we followed that account. Well, we follow Portnoy now and Portnoy follows us three. So by the same logic, we're responsible for everything that Dave Portnoy posts. No, I mean, that's absurd. Like a lot of people follow us. We follow a lot of people. That doesn't mean that we orchestrated hits against people if people follow us. And that was really as as slim as evidence went. And when pressed on that, all he had to say was- So so go
1: back into it. So we then- So we then reach out back to him because he says he invites me to be, you know, on the podcast. Why don't you come on and talk about cancel culture and how you three orchestrated this? Um, And I, you know, I reached back out to him right away, gave him my cell number. I said, we'll talk tonight. And so we had a conversation, you know, in the evening. I want to talk about the conversation, though, because the conversation, though, was because his central premise Was that we were behind an orchestrated and concerted movement to cancel Joe Rogan and to cancel him, apparently, which both in which both cases, you know, he conceded in the argument was basically, you know, not the case at all. You know, he then said, well, you amplify this content. One, I've never amplified any content against him. Midas Touch has never amplified any content against him. As far as I know, Patriot Takes has never amplified any content on him. But it's very different. We we, we as Americans have the right to, if I'm retweeting things that are saying what Joe Rogan has said is racist. And I'm amplifying that and doing a retweet. That's a very different statement than three brothers start a cabal and created this thing (laughs) where I've called musicians and Jody Mitchell and... Um, You know, and this musician and Indy Ari and somehow concerted this grand conspiracy with the implication that was done by Wokel and that group, though, their implication was it's a cabal run by three Jewish brothers with ties to the entertainment industry. That's what they were saying. And so that premise was, you know, proven to be false. But at the end of the day, I do think, you know, and some people like, why would you do the conversation? But I think the conversation was a constructive conversation. You know, I think we were able to expose people, um, you know, who maybe follow Dave, who are anti-vaxxers, who take different political positions, you know, to our views. But I think he came in with a perspective of like what Midas Touch, you know, is and, and, and we're really not. What he thinks that we are i mean you know in terms of where we stand politically on issues i mean our number one thesis is always that we're pro-democracy and we've made it very clear like if biden if democrats started supporting russia if they started becoming anti-vax if they started you know pursuing policies you know like the ones that you know trump had implemented that Purely support billionaires and give billionaires extra tax cuts and tax breaks at the expense of workers, you know, and other cruel, inhumane treatment of immigrants and, and all those policies. I think we made it clear I'm not going to be a Democrat. I'm not a Democrat because I love the name Democrat and I'm wedded to that. They're the only major political party now that supports democracy. And by the way, before we started Midas Touch, we weren't even political. Like we weren't political
2: people. I didn't really even give a shit. Like Ben, to be fair, you were the flower boy as an intern for Hillary Clinton. I was the flower boy for, and I should have given a shit. What
1: I realized (laughs) is when I saw all of the negative things that Trump was doing, was I have to do something. Like I can't have live in a country where the president of the United States is up there telling people to inject themselves with bleach. I can't sit by. I regret that before Midas Touch, I sat on the sidelines. I went about my life as a lawyer. I did well as a lawyer and just had this life not trying to help others. But I wanted to help at that moment and to use my voice to amplify. And that's one of the points I made to Dave Portnoy. I said, we both have large platforms. Frankly, his platform is larger than our platform at Midas Touch. What we choose to amplify is our First Amendment right. We have the right. It's not cancel culture. For us at Midas Touch to use our voice to be critical of people like Joe Rogan and others when they make racist comments, you know. In response to a lot of the outreach and activism, though, Spotify has enacted policies, though, and disclaimers and things like that that will make the content safer and removed and a so, lot of
2: episodes of the show on their own volition. Yeah.
1: And right, so I let's like let's have a conversation, now. Brett. I, I want to talk about cancel culture. For a second because that was ultimately the premise of one of the things that, yeah. you know, Dave wants
2: to talk to us, but
1: should I get into that now
2: yeah I think let's let's talk about it and but first I want to say you know his entire argument in the first place should we get into this first entire argument in the first place was that we were behind this resist programming account this cabal and this resist programming account that attacked him is also patriot takes and also Midas touch even though this resist programming account started in 2017 so he basically his setup was he wanted us to disprove a negative he wanted us to disprove something that didn't exist and when we told him hey that's not us we have nothing to do with that we even
1: said that was the alex jones video and we said to him we said so is what you're saying is that the we're we're associated with alex jones who made the video about you and then alex jones made (laughs) the video about rogan and he said maybe i feel that could have happened And so we, I mean- So that's it, it's the
2: same same kind of mindset that anti-vaxxers use, honestly. It's like, well, this is how I feel. I did my own research on this and this is the conclusion I came to. And it doesn't matter what the evidence is, but I did my own research, this is the evidence, this is where I landed. And so- I wanna talk about, yeah, I wanna talk about
1: though this premise though of when the right wing talks about cancel culture and censorship. There's no one who loves true cancel culture, true censorship, more than the right-wing because what you can look at is legislation that's passed by right-wing governors right-wing governors in states like texas right-wing governors in states like florida or tennessee and and elsewhere where or or local right-wing extremists and the types of policies they implement when it comes to book burning when it comes to controlling the type of speech that companies can and can't say if you want to do business with a specific state we've seen that with governor DeSantis's policies we see that with the policies with greg abbott we're seeing that also with the policies being implemented in virginia with youngkin one of the first executive orders that are being implemented is that teachers shouldn't be allowed to say controversial things like that's literally the label and that they could be subject to you know serious fines for saying controversial things What cancel culture really is about at the highest level is canceling someone, is actually killing someone, and authoritarian governments would actually cancel people, right? And cancel culture in modern forms as well could actually mean that, but it also means when the government infringes, when powerful entities like the government infringe on speech um, in ways that I just described. Cancel culture and censorship is not when courageous people, whether it's the people behind Patriot takes, whether it's activists and community groups, whether it's the people who actually are affected by Joe Rogan's statements. You know, one of the most unfortunate things I thought about the discussion and the debate is by putting it on us, who have literally nothing to do with this, it's really a deflection from the central issue. What Rogan is saying. When Rogan's racist statements hurt and what he needs to recognize and what others need to recognize, that's hurting black, brown, Asian communities. When he uses these horrible words, it's affecting women, you know, the impact that it has on three white men. When I amplify people criticizing Rogan with my Twitter account, it's because I want to be an ally to these communities and to use my platform to be helpful where I can and to amplify those voices. That's what I'm doing. That's not cancel culture at all. When small accounts, I mean, you know, Rogan's got uh, a hundred million dollar contract. When an account like Patriot takes that has a few hundred thousand followers is criticizing Joe Rogan. Look, Joe Rogan's- 8.2 million followers, by the way. Yeah, Joe 2 Rogan's 2 a big boy. He should be able to handle a criticism for his racist statements, for his COVID disinfo, for some count that raised $40,000 in the last political cycle like Patriot takes. But often what we see from, you know, the right wing side of things, they use cancel culture as a deflection from the fact that what they're actually trying to do is to control the speech. They're trying to cancel all the other voices. And I, I think that know even when you look through a lot of what the attempts were by saying that we run a jewish cabal and that we're trying to you know go after rogan because we're criticizing his racist comments like what what makes the right wingers as giddy as can be is truly their efforts to try to cancel us like and cancel us personally you know, and to go after the way we look, to go after our family,
2: not to, you know, to go after the types of things we, you know, that yeah. Rogan's... Well, Ben, pretty- it's all it's all deflection. It's all um, that Russian style, whataboutism, which is, oh, this person said a bad thing. And then they go into, but what about Howard Stern? But what about this person? But what about that person? And it's like, yeah, those people have said bad things in the past. They've apologized for those things in the past. They promised to grow. They have shown growth they have paid their dues, uh, if anything like that happened right now, people would very much be speaking out about it. But it's like this weird misunderstanding of the news cycle. Like Rogan right now is the hottest button issue, whether you like it or not, in the news cycle. So of course, more and more stuff is going to keep coming out about him as people are focused on him. That's not some elaborate plot. That's just how news cycles work. That's how social media works. So why isn't a campaign getting started off random XYZ celebrity? Because that's not who's in the focus right now. That's just, that's just how it works. And as we said, I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, independent. I don't care what your politics are. You know, if you say something fucked up, we're going to call you out on it. And I thought my example of RFK Jr. was a good one. RFK Jr. for all intents and purposes, you know, an extremely liberal guy who has become Very anti vax and is spreading a lot of COVID disinformation that's killing a lot of people. And we and other people on our side, if you want to call it that, have spoken out forcefully against it because we don't care that he's voted for Democrats in the past. We don't care that his father was Robert F. Kennedy. We don't care about those things. What we care about is people living. 900,000 people have died of COVID. People who have not been vaccinated are 97 times more likely to end up in the hospital. That's the kind of stuff we're trying to prevent. And so when we said we never want COVID to be political. And he goes, but it is political. And we go, well, Trump made it a political issue. Republicans make it a political issue. But we're trying to just talk about this in a human way, human to human, person to person to try to save lives. He goes, oh, well, you just said it was political. No, I'm saying that you and the people you defend say it's political. And we are trying to take a scientific view on the issue and save lives in the process. And the deflection just never, never ended. Portnoy ended up making a horrific statement about Jordy bringing his wife into the mix, uh, making up just a blatant lie. Um, I don't know if he has a doctored text message of
3: Jordy or what it is, but Jordy unequivocally bullshit lie. Absolutely. Absolutely. Abso- Do you know how easy it is to fucking manipulate a text in 2014 or in 2022 and just say, oh, I have this text message from 2014. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's a flat out lie. And I, I actually think I know how this sort of came to be. Now, I could get into it a little bit. I don't want to give this kid any limelight, but essentially in 2014, I was at The Ohio State University. I lived with a group of guys who I thought were my friends. Uh, I came to find out that they were not friends, especially when we started making Midas Touch. I found out they hated what we were doing. And it turns out, oh, surprise, surprise, they're Trumpers.
2: Someone who you were friends with when you were in college, right? Who turned out to be an extreme MAGA person. And when you yeah. started Midas Touch, basically said, Fuck you, fuck your operation. Yeah, I think exactly. you're bad for this planet, and I'm going to take you but down. But here's the
1: thing though the whole Lexi thing, like it's not, Jordy is getting married to Lexi. They have a public wedding registry out there. It's not like a secret piece of information to mention Lexi. Jordy's been with Lexi for like a decade. And so, like, it's not like a secret piece of information. Yeah, starting in
3: 2013 13 and 2014, which is exactly why this kid knew that I was with her. So, yes. My fiance's name is Lexi. And when that shit got brought up yesterday in the chat, her name, my heart fucking dropped because I know how these stoolies react once they know, oh, now a girl's involved, let's go attack her. Now, I can't protect her at that point. It's over, like it's over, it's done. I've I've done my best to protect her throughout this entire process from what we've done at Midas from Jump Street. You know, we've made her accounts private. I really rarely ever say her name just because I just know the shit that gets out there. And look, I'm all for it. I know I'm public facing. I could take it, I could take everything, but I always want to protect her. So the second that fucking Fortnite mentions Lexi's name, I go, fuck, man. Now she's like, it's going to be hell for her. And by the way, it has been hell for her. I was saying, oh, woe is me, cry for us or whatever. But her DMs are just an onslaught of on misogyny and just awful, awful stuff. And so once her name's, you know, invoked, I start to get really upset because now fuck. Now I have to protect the person who I love the most in this world. And I can't do that. I, I can't protect her anymore from that shit. And so it just fucking sucks. I never said that shit. I don't care what fucking photo he has. I know for a fact who fucking sent him this because the kid he called me during the stream last night twice. He called me twice, and then yeah. he said, He's can we bring up these, can we bring this up and just blur out this kid?" Yeah, name? we'll show
2: we'll show the text. So as the as the thing's as, going on, the kid texts Jordy and goes, Yo, why did you call me? we'll put up we'll put, and, and yeah. meanwhile, he called Jordy twice because his plot from the beginning of Midas Touch was screw your organization. I love Trump. You're bad for America. I'm going to bring you down. And so what this guy did is he apparently, because we're pretty sure it's him, uh, fabricated a text, I guess, and sent it to Dave Portnoy in an effort to try to ironically cancel Midas Touch. And also what Dave Portnoy is doing, ironically, is trying to refute that he is supporting people to spread disinformation by spreading more disinformation. And his base eats it up. Those stoolies eat it up. I I think that when you are in this space
1: and we as Democrats, um, you have to have thick skin and you know so what i told both of you um you know before you know i think any intelligent person who watched that debate and i've received hundreds of emails from people who don't align with you know maybe our point of views politically who said i learned a thing or two i appreciated your positions and you know at an intelligent level when the conversation was kept at a high level, which is where it should always be kept. You know, I think there was a value to doing that. And in terms of, you know, would I do that again with Dave? I would, you know, I think that what we have to do is we can't be afraid to go into other echo chambers. And have difficult and tough conversations, you know, and Jordy, I'm sorry, you know, even if the ramifications are that something like that happens when you step into the arena, okay, you're going to get dirty, period. And that just comes with the territory. If you don't want that, you don't have a public platform like Midas Touch, you don't get to, you know, have podcasts and people that listen to you and not have to deal with shit, you know, and and i am sorry that you're going through that and i'm sorry that that's you know a pain in the ass and I'm, and I'm sorry that lexi's going through it and i'm sorry that you know it's really defamatory you know and bullshit, and you know when i think you have a platform like that and someone says i received a text message what you have to do is you have to vet it you know you don't just say it like you don't say i got a text message a random text message lexi this that and then you know and then smear someone but at the end of the day You know you're dealing with three people who are in the arena fighting for democracy shit like that is going to happen and i think that when people look at that type of debate and that discussion i'm never going to shy away from it you know the moment that dave reached out i reached back out to him right away gave him my cell number i wouldn't have handled it any differently and i'm not going to handle it any differently you know, I've spoken with him after, you know, and I said maybe there's other places where we can have conversations. I haven't said this to him yet, but I think we could have conversations about vaccines. I, You know, I think that there's a significant part of his audience that's probably anti-vax. I don't know where he stands on the issues, but I think there's areas where we may be able to find common ground. You know, one of the things that I do is i support restaurant owners i think there needs to be robust support of restaurant owners and small businesses i disagree that there's disparities in covid between large department stores that were open like the targets of the world and the walmarts and the costcos but mom and pop stores got shut down and didn't get those same exemptions i think that's really problematic And during that time period, I didn't just talk the talk, I walked the walk. And I was representing small restaurant owners to try to get them back up and running, which was very controversial at the time. Uh, But at the same time, I think we can't be dumb about vaccines. We have to trust the science. We could be out of this already if we trusted the vaccines and got the boosters and, and really did all of the right things and did not politicize COVID. So- I think overall, you know, the conversation was a productive one. I do look forward to talking with him again. If it does upset and offend any Midas mighty that we're having these tough conversations, I'm sorry, but that's who we are. Like we're going to have tough conversations with people. Okay. We're not going to shy down from them and you know, we're, we're, we're well equipped to do that. And again, I think any intelligent person who watched that, um, you know, and the feedback that I've got understood what went down, understood the points, And I think it did make a difference. This podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is my favorite. It's been revolutionary for me in my morning routine. Before Athletic Greens, what I would do is I'd have different vitamins and I'd have all these different pills, whether they were gummies or whatever. And I tried to find a nutritional regimen that would work for me, but I was still feeling tired and lethargic and it wasn't working. But with Athletic Greens, it simplified everything. It was just one scoop of green powder. I put it in my cup. I put some water in it. I shake it up and boom, I'm good for the day. And it's boom. the right vitamins too, because the people who work on an athletic greens know the right mixture and they do all the work for you. So, what's in this stuff? With one delicious scoop of athletic greens, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods probiotics and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all of these things in one. And let me tell you, it's lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, this is for you, it costs less than $3 a day, you're investing in your health. And guess what? It's cheaper than your cold brew habit. And Athletic Greens was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on a complicated supplement routine to recover, which was costing him $100 a day. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into flu and cold season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day, that's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Midas. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash Midas to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Love my Athletic Greens and Brett, I also want to talk about another one of our sponsors, Blinkist. Oh. I love yeah, I love Blinkist. I've been reading so many um, of the books and and the audio as well on Blinkist. And so some of the stuff that I do on Blinkist is when I want to read a book, sometimes I'll get the Blinkist, which is these like 15 minute right you know written summaries of what's in the book, like all the key points. And they sometimes do a great audio breakdown as well as short audio that summarizes those key points in the books that you could get through, you know, super quickly. And so sometimes I read that before I read the book to see if I want to read um, the book. And sometimes what I'll do is instead of just reading a book, I don't have time to read so many thousand page, um, you know, books that I like to read. So I just basically use Blinkist and get the main key points and so some of the ones i've done on blinkist recently is the five second rule by mel robbins that's a jam but yeah five second rules my jam you know it basically says for all this motivation you know if you just got a countdown five four three two one and there's a psychology behind it whether it's getting out of bed you know, just to stop procrastinating and mel gives a number of other solutions that go with that five second rule. And I guess there's something with me in the number five, because I also um, listened to the audio of the 5 a.m. club on Blinkist, which broke down the importance of waking up at 5 a.m., starting your daily routine with the right nutrition, the right workouts, the right time for your own mental space. And that has been kind of critically important to me. That's how I use it for Um, right now. Blinkist has a special offer for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Midas. Start your free seven-day trial and get 25% off of a Blinkist premium membership. That's Blinkist. It's spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Midas. Get 25% off and a seven-day free trial. That's Blinkist.com slash Midas. And I just want to say, the goal of 2022 is about empowering people to grow personally and professionally by discovering content that inspires, motivates, and gives you new perspectives on your lives and the world this year. And Blinkist has the perfect content for you. That's Blinkist.com slash Midas. Want to bring in our guest, Hal Sparks. And Hal has actually appeared as a guest on Joe Rogan, which I want to get into a bit later in the podcast, because I want to get Hal's um, view on going on The Rogan Show, what he thinks about, um, you know, whether or not... There should or shouldn't be you know, a boycott of Rogan, get his perspective on that. And I'm just a big House Sparks overall fan. So Who is let's it? bring in House Sparks, the multi-hyphenated House Sparks, comedian, <laughs> actor, musician, political commentator, television and radio host, television personality, Journey. model, journalist. What, 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 what am I missing, House Sparks? <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, House Sparks um uh Champion Mut- of the sparklers
4: yes did we say uh lead singer of nerd halen uh and zero one um and uh 80s aficionado 90s aficionado uh, 70s aficionado according to vh1 anyways and uh the youngest game <laughs> show host in history um and then what else the uh, man yeah. who
1: has 50 email accounts but is too busy to respond
2: to any email He's that's saying- true I think that's we should true. just yeah, do this, this the rest of the show the whole show I should know. just be us talking about how Sparky. reading my credits
4: my wiki Right.
2: and first I need to give a big shout out before Ben gets into it I gotta give a big shout out to the sparklers who I know are watching right now yes um, Hal you have been so kind to share your incredible fan base with us and we see the sparklers every night that we do our podcast watching that's in that's great uh, saying sparklers are here sparklers are coming <laughs> in force and I've never that's seen awesome. a more passionate group it's really incredible and, and thank you again and shout out to the sparkler shout out to the Midas mighty
4: yeah I I I'm so blessed you know and and they know as well as I do that we together myself and the folks that come and watch my show have we have have marched through the swamp of reality in politics and in discourse around this over the last couple of years and really found our way you know into the sun in a lot of ways where I I feel very good that my show is a place where people feel better when they are done watching it than worse. And in the world of political discourse these days, that's not a given, really. Yeah, (laughs) no
2: doubt. And I think your format, I think your format is super interesting because- what, for, for those who don't know, what Hal does is, Hal, I feel like, first of all, I feel like you do it all day, but Hal is like a live streamer extraordinaire. Hal, you don't even, you, you don't have a podcast, right? Correct me if no. I'm wrong. So Hal no, is not. just live streaming. It's very interactive, um, whatever's happening at that moment. And I, you know, I, I think it'd be interesting yeah. just for you to say like kind of the philosophy behind that and speak to that a little bit, because I think it's a really interesting way to yeah. communicate and engage with the public.
4: Well, yeah, there was. um, So one of the big complaints was and this, you know, it really grew out of uh, the the people were a little afraid to watch what Trump was fomenting out there doing his rallies or whatever. And I had seen enough of them to know that there was nothing to be afraid of. But if you see a clip of it on CNN, you're like, dear God, this man's in complete control of this army of of you know nutcases and he can with a flick of his wrist send them marching wherever in reality if you watch the whole thing you're like oh this is boring and stupid blather that goes on and on and on and so at some point um i was like there's a benefit for people who would not normally watch this to watch this because they'll feel a lot better because this they got this exaggerated idea of the opposition and then the other complaint that came in mike pillow does this all the time. Trump certainly does this and the entirety of the right wing is everything's out of context. They take something out of context, you know, uh, on MSNBC, or MSDNC, they take something I said and then they make it look worse than it was and they take it out of context. And my thing is, all right, well then I won't. How about this? You can't say nobody anymore. Nobody even looks at what's going, nobody even shows the whole thing. I show the whole thing. So if they post a clip, if Hannity posts a chunk on the Fox channel YouTube page, I do the whole clip. I don't take a piece of it and go, look what he said right here. I go, no, no, no. you chose what to put online. You chose what you thought was an example of your argument. And I'm going to show the whole damn thing, even if it's boring or aggravating. And I will cut it to pieces because I don't fear your disinfo versus my info. And And that's been really great because I think it lets people off the hook. There's this idea that, you know, if you watch it, you know, it, a Tucker Carlson line, you'll get hypnotized by it. But if you watch the whole (laughs) opening to his show, it's the most ADD blather you've ever seen. It doesn't connect to anything. It wanders. I mean, he just like walks off into a field and kind of like somebody in the producer's booth goes, get back on topic. And then he comes back and it's it's just basically a waste of time to lure the people who would normally watch that kind of stuff into watching some toilet paper ads and making them some money.
1: And and the thing with the Tucker Carlson shows, Hal, is... It's all about the grievance, right? Whether the grievance of the day is uh, the green M&M not right. being sexy enough or yeah, house and what she's wearing. I,
4: I have to say that that's a plus for our side, because no matter who you are, if Tucker Carlson is waging a war against M&Ms, you know you're on the in <laughs> side of the argument. You can't help it. Part of your brain has to be going, I'm full of crap right now, like it has to, because they're able these are folks that are able to drive to and from work they're not totally sitting in their own swill <laughs> you know throwing popcorn at the tv they've got lives around it which means they have some functional discernment still left right if someone at work hands them a problem they won't go m&ms they'll go all right what's the problem in theory anyways and so when tucker is arguing about m&ms or crt or any of this other stuff there's a there's there's a gap it's like a dead zone in their vision and their memory and their awareness that says we're talking about this crap and they just passed the infrastructure bill like they here here's the main thing like i have a couple of friends who are were all in on trump because of uh you know southern california anti immigration fervor probably on their part it's probably the primary driving force yeah and their belief that you know illegal immigrants voted in the election and that's how democrats win which is garbage but they believe it they're all in on it and they think what the next uh, what the midterms and 2024 are going to be about is Afghanistan. The exit from Afghanistan. That's what they think. They think it's all going to be a, a, a fight over how terrible the exit was. Not the fact that we're out. Not the fact that we're not there. That's what they think. I mean, all think of all the other stuff going on in life right now and 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 think about we're no longer in Afghanistan. That's not something we're not dumping $300 million a day into Afghanistan to shore up a government that doesn't that it, it, it won't survive on its own, we're out, right? We'll give humanitarian aid through the UN and other things, just like we do with a lot of other countries that are in dire straits, but we're not there with a military base anymore. And they think they're going to run on that in November of this year. That's, that's all that, that's the material one they have. And the rest of it is all the great reset and M&Ms and CRT.
1: And it appears also like rooting against America. Oh, yeah. I mean, the other day, right before the um, job numbers came out on all of these (laughs) republican controlled networks these right-wing media i thought maria
4: Bartiromo was gonna vapor lock did you see her like this can't be the these figures are unbelievable they were like
1: (laughs) (laughs) they were like here we go this is gonna be good get ready for the worst job numbers ever
4: we're gonna have bread lines here come the bread then the
1: job numbers came out and it looked like they were uh, like talking about a natural disaster. Yes. Have new, we have news to report. It turns out <laughs> that the right? United States yeah. has added half a million jobs. Uh,
4: yeah, if, if you like the dude, like Ducey had his son on to share in this moment. This will be the moment I pass the torch from Fox and Friends, to Fox <laughs> and Friends Jr. And like both of them were just like, wah, 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 wah. And, and, and like I said- Because Fox, the
1: economy's good. That's yes, so crazy. Right.
4: Because it can't, and again, this partly is, is based on the idea that Trump and his whole, you know, sub-society of supporters during Obama believed that we on the left, we de- Democrats, viewed him as a messianic figure who could do no wrong and that he acted like a king or a dictator. If you heard him talking about the ACA and things like that, they believed he acted like a dictator. They like they shoved stuff down our throats. That was the primary way they talked about stuff. And then he got into office and realized oh no that required a vote in congress and in the senate it passed because of normal functioning government that most of the executive orders get wiped out by the next guy and because he even realized he had the power to get rid of certain things and and he was like oh you can't actually run like a dictator I, we got to start working in a way that we can and they filled their minds with this idea that he had to, he had to lie to his own followers He had to lie that i should be able to do this like a dictator because obama did obama was able to just do whatever he wanted and they wanted and their congress is always trying to stop me in reality we have a we have three equal branches of government and they work together and it's dysfunctional at times but a lot of stuff gets done that way well now that biden's back in the idea is that oh now they just let him do anything even though he's going through the exact same thing every president goes through and he passed stuff Normally, the infrastructure bill had to be separated from BBB because they didn't have the votes to get it, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But they got to live in this idea that it's all a fix. I mean, think about it if if Democrats had anywhere near the power that these guys say they do, we control big tech, we control the media, we control all the giant corporations. We control the UN. Hell, we're even the ones making putin moved troops to the ukrainian border that's our fault that's that's we want that to happen because now the democrats control the military industrial complex and we got out of afghanistan just so we could start a new Cold war with russia with a hot war in ukraine which makes no sense but that conversation is really painful to have that's that's that you look like an idiot really early In this case, you know, bad economic news, though. They're like, hey, well, you can't argue with that. I mean, the consumer confidence is way low. Well, that's because of the news. It's not because of the amount of money in their pocketbook.
2: I like that the thing that they're doing now, like it's all projection with these people. And the thing that they're doing with the Biden presidency is they're trying to take every legitimate scandal that happened under Trump and are trying to repurpose those scandals under Biden. So you saw like when Biden spoke with Zelensky, they kept running with, oh, was oh, it transcript- the perfect call? Yeah. Release the transcript. Right, like they right. have no original ideas. So no. It's just to like try to screw up this. Yeah. It's, it's the worst reboot. It's the yeah. shittiest reboot on the planet.
4: That, that's right. Well, <laughs> you could argue that Trump is the shittiest Reagan reboot you could possibly have. That's I mean, effectively with its own little uh, Iran-Contra, it's all, you know, it's idiots version of the moral majority revolution, all that kind of shit. Just awful. Just the cheap kind of CW or action movie version, you know, like a Netflix action film version of that reality. He even stole the slogan. Right. Right. There's also, well, we use Magoo on my show now because because he keeps trying to make America great again. Again, you know, you've seen him say that. We think it's make America great over and over. Magoo. So he's, Trump is now Magoo.
1: Well, and, well, how about this too? About 32, 33% Rotten Tomatoes. Would you watch that movie? Would you elect that as president? That's right. about his support.
4: That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. And that and and uh, and that will be an ongoing problem for him. And he's on a hard fade. Again, this is one of the reasons why I show even his new rallies that he done. That he's done. I wonder I, the I,
1: correlation though, Hal, between like those movies that are so horrible that have a 32% and you're like, 32% of people still like this movie. I wonder if that correlates. It's always that thirty-two percent. I'll
4: tell you though, some of them just hate watch it, and and there's a bunch of movies. There's a bunch of Nick Cage movies that, that that get that level, but they're a they're a hilarious ride. You know what I mean? There's a bunch of you know there's those kind of movies where you're like, I hate this movie, but I can't not so watch good. it. And and that's there's an element of that with the Trump folks because, dude, they thought that there half the audience was divided in his last rally between people who believe he was really JFK in a rubber suit and a clone that honestly, like a major portion of who actually went to that rally. There there was a division about whether or not JFK junior was, or or no senior JFK, John F. Kennedy who did not get his Um, (laughs) brains blown out all over (laughs) a road in Dallas. No, he's alive and he's wearing a rubber Trump suit just to help, write the ship or something while Trump is doing God knows what and yeah. then the other half is is a, it's a clone now remember this is the same folks who said Hillary Clinton's a clone B- Pelosi's a clone Tom Hanks is a clone
2: might Biden's is, a clone Midas touches a deep state cabal we've heard it well yeah I'm,
4: I'm apparently CIA which is the new one that's that's my that's fun which I mean I'm a big fan of talk about 33% Rotten Tomatoes I'm a big fan of The Recruit you know that movie yeah uh, with uh with uh Pacino and uh Colin Farrell I, I it's one of my good you know it's a popcorn movie that I enjoy very much about him getting recruited into the CIA and all this kind of stuff oh, oh you're gonna be a great agent I got my, I'm a scary judge of talent or whatever uh, I love that movie it's car. It's garbage, but I love it. And so I, you know, I wish to some degree. Like CIA, call me. But it's they're not ca- going it's to. Def-
3: that that one's a good compliment, right there, Hal. Cause yeah, you're looking pretty jacked these days too, man. You're oh you're, from thanks. the last time we had you on. You're you're pretty buff. Oh, these yeah, days. You
4: know, well, it's, a, it's isolation. It's prison muscles. I'm on the John. Uh, are you doing
3: doing like a row machine over there?
4: No, I I uh I it's a it's I finally decided to grow my chest and my arms grow really <laughs> easily. You guys will know what this is like. And your arms grow really easily, your chest does not. So I have to exhaust my arms to get my chest to grow. So my arms are just getting bigger naturally because of that. And then I started working on my shoulders because uh, if I'm ever gonna be squeezed into the MCU at some point, it's only gonna be because I looked the part already. They're never gonna take a chance on an actor like me because I was on Queer as Folk. And I was in. Dude, where's my car? They don't oh, know. You would where. be
2: absolutely incredible in the MCU. I, I would love to see that. Let's start the petition right now. Yeah, Let's make exactly. it happen, everybody. I,
4: there needs to be a new gambit. I'm just saying. But anyways, um, the, <laughs> this is uh, you know, insofar as back to what we we're talking about, take sort of taking care of your own self and your mental health. One of the reasons on my show where I watch all this stuff, and we watch it together, my audience. Is because I'm not scared of any of it. None of it. None of it bothers me. And I want to talk yeah. to you about
2: that actually, because I think you differ from most people in this regard. And I've seen mm-hmm. you talk about this. And you go, Trump. I'm not scared of that guy. That nope. guy's a that guy's a clown, not in the slightest. Tucker Carlson. Who gives a shit? Right. And so, like, what what what's your perspective on that? I'd just love for you to share that, because I think maybe a lot of people out there probably agree with your perspective on this.
4: Here's, uh, you know, I I always go back to that moment where Duke is yelling at Rocky about Drago after he cuts him under the eye. And he goes, you see, he's not a machine. He's a man. <laughs> and there's an element of up until that point, the character of Drago in that story is fucking frightening. He murders <laughs> uh, Apollo Creed in the ring. He's got this 1,800 pound per square inch punch. He's ginormous. He has huge... It's, he's scary, right? And and here's this little you know southpaw rumble fighter who's going to try and get inside and whatever. And it's a great story in that regard. And to me, I've been I've always been ice skating uphill in my life. Everything I, I first of all I'm a Gen Xer, so the the world has been coming to an end my entire fucking life. Okay, my whole life, Cold War, nine eleven, AIDS. The 2008 crash, like everything. Like we hid under our desk because a nuke might blow the roof off the building, but you could live with radiation poisoning yeah. for a little while till your face falls off. Right? Y2K? Yes, right. Everything. Every time I turn around, I was going to fall apart and it never did. And I, I'm, you know, I'm sort of, I, I'm the anti-doomsayer now because I just don't buy it. And I think part of the reason why a lot of people feel paralysis Why they feel like they can't make a difference and all that kind of stuff is because they've been told for a very long time by their own side that the other side is some sort of insurmountable behemoth that is uncuttable. You can't make them like that. Listen to how the right talks. I'm sure you guys have seen this. They talk about Democrats. The same way Democrats talk about Republicans, they always have their message together, say what you will about them, but they can, you know, they can they stick together in a fight, all that stuff. Everything Trump says about the Republicans, which is, you know, about the Democrats is garbage. It's absurd. But he has he has caused a big group of his supporters to not vote anymore. It's one of the reasons why we have a real Mm -hmm. shot this year to gain a lot of ground is because he's talked them out of voting because they think, well, oh, they got this cheating mechanism and they're all together and they've got big tech and they, they create this giant insurmountable thing. And it is diminishing their vote, not because they don't have numbers, but because they are choosing to self-select out.
1: Hal, you Dem- think Democrats can win the midterms, huh?
4: Of course, yeah. First of all, the 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 gerrymandering everywhere is falling apart and it's effectively a wash, or in some cases, Dems are gaining. We look like we're gonna get somewhere in the order. Yeah. 12 extra seats added that are that are lean democratic or are fully democratic. The other thing is is that because of some of the gerrymandering that they were trying which was isolate the black vote to one area so you have one black congressperson and three white congress people in Texas and places like that. When they brought in that gerrymandering uh plan it, the supreme courts of those states are throwing them out. And what they're doing is going no there's not enough people in the in the black district to to make them their own sole district so we're going to float them into these other three now those districts that were republican strongly republican that they had a grip on were 60 40 republican they were still they were still definitely republican they definitely lean more that way it's solidly red if you look at it on one of these color charts but when you move in the other people from that other district divide it up suddenly that solidly red district is very purple leaning blue and they've got work to do. And when you have a when you put a candidate in in a solidly red, pro-Trump, you know, ideology into a district that is leaning purple, you put yourself in distinct danger of losing that seat. Especially the more you piss those people off, or you're on, you know you're not functional. Now in Texas, they've been scooping in um, uh, anti-abortion Latinos and anti-socialism Latinos, and that's been shoring up some of the groups. It's not anywhere near the numbers. That they need. And all of those people have to show up and vote to make a difference. Every last one of them.
2: Yeah. And I think like, you know, for, for so long, the, the line of attack by Democrats against Democrats has been Democrats are weak. Democrats need to learn how to play the game. Democrats need to step up. But what we've learned in these past few weeks is that Democrats behind the scenes have been stepping up and have been fighting back. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're getting these map gains. They're not taking shit from the Republican gerrymandering. They're calling it out. They're taking them to court. We have people like Mark Elias, who's suing all these states for putting these racially discriminatory maps out there. And we are winning.
4: Right. I said this when this when all this shit went down, when they were like, oh, my God, right after the election, everybody's like, oh, my God, they're going to throw up all these laws and nobody's going to be able to vote and blah, blah, blah. And like in Georgia, they're going to disenfranchise all these black people and they're not going to be able to vote Democratic and we're going to lose. I'm like, first of all, black people aren't stupid if they and and they're very aware if they're being disenfranchised um, in American life currently. This is not 1962 They're You know, it can speak out and be heard. And the Democratic Party is here to to listen. And so the Democrats and those voters are going to do everything they have to do. If they have to thread a needle to vote, they're going to do it. But meanwhile, these laws that they're passing are going to disenfranchise more like redneck Republicans, you know, in the urban areas or in the rural areas around these urban centers in places like Georgia than they'll ever take out of, you know, circulation on the Democratic side. Because they think they've got a right to vote. They've got a automatic, they have this kind of entitlement idea about where their position should be in society, those people in particular. So they're not going to cross their T's and dot their I's. They're not going to follow the law as finally as you have to. They're going to be on the receiving end of these shitty voting laws more so than Democrats are. And Democrats are moving. Democrats are like, all right, what's what's the rule here? You got to have these three things? Cool. We're going to make sure over the next 10 months that everybody that's going to vote Democratic has all three of those things. Voter ID, whatever it is, we're going to do it. We're going to take care of it. If we have to knock doors to do it, we're going to get out the vote because we got the people and we got the movement and we're not going to let people, uh, I don't care if you vote my way, but you're going to be allowed to vote. And they're not going to discriminate in that way, right? Republicans aren't. They're not bothering. They think they automatically got it. And it's and then the other half think it's rigged and they're not going to even bother. They're eating their own. It's hilarious. Yeah.
2: And how they're they're so cocky right now. Um and and I, I brought this Dude. up to Ben and Jordy the other day. Mm-hmm. I was like you never want to peak early. Like you never want to peak early. Oh, think about no. Biden's campaign. You never want to peak early. And they got really cocky after that Virginia race. Uh which was by the way extremely close. They more much more cockier than they deserved right. to get after Well, then
4: that they race. lost New Jersey. And then they no, lost normal. Jersey. Yes, And normally, many
2: other seats also. They right. lost a lot of municipal seats in Georgia, had a lot of other devastating losses in other local races. That's right. Yet they've been every single day going red wave, red wave, red wave. And I think they are much less prepared for what is to come than they think. I think Democrats are no much question. more prepared.
4: I agree. Well, we're prepared for a fight and there may not be one. We may, we may, people may have shorter lines and all kinds of stuff. They'll be measures taken to make sure that people can vote because even in states like kemp's georgia they're going to have to if you have seven hour voting lines in black districts again uh the cry foul is going to be enormous right even more so than it's ever been in a midterm i think and so they they've got to at least pretend that they're making it even right otherwise they're they are facing that that rising electorate the and the other thing is that the republicans They think they're running on, like I said, uh, they're going to run on Afghanistan (laughs) this fall. And they think they're going to run on year-over-year inflation, 7% inflation. Well, I got news for you. Year-over-year inflation in 2021 was based on 2020 when gas prices, when oil collapsed to negative $35 a barrel. So, of course, the percentage difference year-over-year is enormous and and it may even tie to a genuine dollar for dollar rise monetarily that people have to deal with the problem you have is if you're running on inflation is year over year 2021 because of the spike and the gap before the year will look artificially low even if it was high even if we had seven percent genuinely seven percent inflation this year it's gonna read by summer as 4.2 percent because year over year was worse. The spike difference was offset by the gap the year before, by the drop. And so they're they're hoisting their own petard. They are literally just backing themselves into a dumb corner in this argument, this year over year argument, for example. And they're doing that everywhere. They're like, dude, high five, bro, we're so gonna nail this, without any recognition that they're actually pushed, their monetary policy is pushing towards a deflationary collapse. If they got what they wanted, the, the U.S. economy, the, uh, uh, forget about money being worthless. All your stuff would be worthless. Spot on,
3: spot on, spot on Hal. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's lunacy. I want to shift gears really quickly, Hal. I know we're yeah. running short on time here. I, I want to get your views on this. So, as a comedian specifically, man, mm-hmm. what, what are your views on Rogan? You've been on Rogan, too, huh? Yes,
4: I was I was on Rogan. He didn't have me back because I um, we differ on a couple of things, obviously. One, uh, I don't believe in the use of racial epithets, period, end of story. I just don't use them, even when I'm talking about them. But also, I, on a personal level, this is the main reason why I think we mismatched on that show and why he wouldn't have me back on. Because I he believes you're not you and yes, unless you've done drugs. Unless you've done drugs and high-order stuff, like... MDMA or or so mushrooms skyline. or yeah, any of that stuff. You can't be you. You are not you until you've done this. And I believe you do those things, you're no longer you. You're you mm. plus that biochemical storm you threw into your head. That's my feeling, that's how I believe. You, nobody has to share that belief with me, but that that's a huge difference. He believes that every person he meets is that person minus drugs. And I believe that I meet people and if they do drugs, that's an addendum of who they are. It's not who they are. It's an addition. You know, it's like they're, it's like this, whatever clothes you might put on and whatever feeling I might get from what you, know, what you wear. But it's not who you are. That's a very strong distinction. And that also informs nearly everyone else he has on his show and their feeling about stuff. The other thing, too, is that originally when, it, you know, that show is not a comedy show. Never has been, really. It's really coast to coast, done for stoners. If you don't know coast to coast, it's like what you watch. If you're a road comic, you know this show, and if you're a trucker, you'll know it. But from basically like midnight to four a.m., there's there's these shows that like uh, George Norrie used to host and this other guy before him, and they would talk about like UFOs and Yetis and CIA and MK Ultra and all that kind of shit, right? And there's a huge audience for it, dude became a millionaire from midnight to four in the morning. And basically over time, Rogan took that. And because he liked weed, shifted that whole conversation from midnight to four to noon to three in the afternoon. That's all, just made brought it out in the daylight. It's the same stupid shit, always was. Me and his buddy <laughs> on all the time was talking about the moon landing was faked and the earth is flat and all that bullshit. And they did that for years. And it's not, you know, Stern, covered a lot of the same territory that Rogan did. The only difference was his Stern show was genuinely funny at times. Rogan's isn't. Rogan is a shared joke moment. And that was what increasingly since Spotify it's become even more of that because it it got cul de sac That's one of the problems when you have a show like that you get bought is that it it shoves you into a format Right? into you know a, they expect a certain amount and they expect you not to step over your bounds and ruin their bottom line because they invested a 100 million dollars in you they want you they want that money back they're not getting it they're not making that money back as a matter of fact he just cost them in the last two weeks everything they paid him and then some So the guy who made the decision to bring on Rogan onto Spotify went from a hero to the to shit row immediately. And, and so the show itself isn't funny. So the fact that he's allegedly a comedian or he does stand up on occasion because he barely does it anymore is immaterial. You know, does like what, what, the, you know, any more than, you know, to use a, uh, a stronger example, my standup has anything bearing on my work on Queer as Folk. They're two totally different things. And the illusion of comedy is what gave Joe Rogan the room to talk about bullshit because if he was a rando dude, right? If Jordan Peterson had this show all by himself and it had the same guests on, there wouldn't have been this room to fuck around that he's had all these years. They just wouldn't. It's the illusion of comedy that's protected him as long as it has. But again, the show's not funny and it never has been. I don't even know that that was or is the point in a lot of ways. It's just an, excuse to write off the, the smoking room in his house.
1: And how what do you make of people saying that Rogan should be terminated or you know Spotify should be boycotted?
4: Yeah, that's the delineation between misinformation and disinformation. And this goes to how I feel about Trump and Tucker Carlson and the like. Is that I there's a, dis, uh, there's a distinct difference between misinformation and disinformation. Disinformation is on purpose. I know I'm lying and I'm manipulating Misinformation is I'm a dipshit and I'm passing on my dipshittery to other dipshits, right? Which is a forgivable act that everybody involves in. But when you don't make a distinction, when you say active disinfo is misinfo, what you give in many ways is an element of cleverness from the disinfo side to the misinformed. So now Joe Rogan isn't a a pot smoking dipshit who's blathering about shit he doesn't know what he's talking about to a you know a controlled environment where he disseminates anti-vax material right and you give him more weight and more ballast than he deserves so one of the problems with the attacks in going after him about that stuff the, the the racial epithet stuff and the garbage behavior that's a totally different argument and that's up to his audience um and it's i mean i don't watch the show so that's one of the reasons why i don't need that in my head but the stuff about like who he has on talking about vaccines or mandates or masks or any of that shit during it is to feed a certain group of the audience. And he just kind of goes, Oh wow, that's interesting. That's interesting. Is that true? Is that interesting? That's true. All right. That sounds good. And then occasionally he backs out (laughs) of it by going, what do I know? I'm just fucking dumb. It's the same thing. Jimmy Dore does allow the, the, the disinfo artist to come on and use you as a misinfo artist because you're too stupid or you don't give a fuck. So you just let it slide instead of pushing back on it. Now, Joe has pushed back at a couple of very important points on some people. Other people, he's like, it rolls through. And I think it's about whatever brand of weed he's smoking at any particular (laughs) time. It's unreliable. But you do not ever give someone like Joe Rogan more weight than he deserves in a discourse. And that's what canceling would do. Because what his audience responds is, they're trying to shut him down because he's telling the truth. And they're not. They're, they're like, he, they're concerned that he is manipulating people in the same way that we passed laws against, you know, uh, He-Man and Care Bears selling toys to kids. So you have to add for the toy during the show for the, about the toy. So there's an element of like, oh, that's not quite fair. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's like, these people's brains are a little porous for this kind of thing. And that's the concern with Rogan. And when it comes to teenagers who watch a show, that's a legitimate concern because there's a lot of them, a lot of his audience is underage. And so there's a legit concern there.
1: I net out the same way you do on that conversation. I mean, you know, one of the interesting things about what's happened over the past 24, 48 hours on the past Midas Touch podcast that we did, we came out the same way you just did. You know, Mm -hmm. we've never called for a boycott of Spotify, our show still on Spotify. We Mm -hmm. believe that we need to compete and have better content Mm -hmm. out there and attract people to the truth and to the types of conversations we're having. So to me, that's that's where it stands. But what's interesting is there has been a lot of disinfo out there that because we are a large account, people like Mm -hmm. these are the three brothers who are behind it, despite the fact that we said we weren't. But we engaged and we had a conversation um, over the past 24 hours with Dave Portnoy, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was interesting seeing his audience, you know, who I haven't been exposed to, you know, what they say. It's often criticisms of the way we look and who we are and sure. not what we say, you know, and that tends to be a lot of what the conversations were. But like right. when we engage like that, you know, and to us, it was just instinctual. Someone yeah. was calling out for something false. We pick up the phone. We have a conversation and we've received about 100 emails or so. I know I've received about 50 emails. Brett's received some of people saying, hey, I'm a right winger. I appreciate right. you coming on and sharing it. Do you think um, yeah, you know. it has value. Bro, no, should no, no. we be doing more of that?
4: Yes, I I don't believe in in uh, in canceling people giving speeches and like I don't fear any of those folks, um, and I think there's a little bit of infantilizing adults, um, and there's a little bit of the the outrage community, the professional outrage community does tend to, in their own way, um, engage in what would be subtle. Uh, racism, sexism, and uh, elitism in that, like, well, I know it's bullshit, but think about all these dumb people. You know, there's a lot of dumb people out there who might fall for this kind of thing. Instead of making their own argument that would undermine it, they just kind of go, don't let him say that. And it's, uh, you know, it's sort of like tattletale culture at its best. And And it's a lot of slacktivism. It's not actual active engagement. It's like, get rid of that. You know what I mean? It's like swiping left on life's problems and swiping right on the good stuff. You know what I mean? It's the it's the tendering of your uh, of your politics and it's a mistake. That said, like I don't believe Stormfront should be allowed on Spotify with their own show and Spotify should set a standard for what's okay and it is indicative of them. And again, it's not censorship or a lack of free speech if if an organization kicks you off their platform, YouTube, Twitch, I'm on, you know, on both of those and uh, Facebook and on Twitter. If I, if I violate their terms of service, I don't have any right to their microphone. I have the right to say whatever the fuck I want, but I have to find another way to say it. Same thing with, with him to some degree. Like you sign off on a deal with Spotify, for example, you're all in on what Spotify is comfortable with, not what you're comfortable with. Once you move off the Joe Rogan website, which you can house in uh, on a web server in Saudi Arabia if you want to, and anybody can access it, and nobody gives a shit, then you you set yourself up for standards that you may not have bought into initially. Right? Because when they bought his show, they kicked off like 110 episodes. They, they went, yeah, we'll take those. We're going to no, not those. So he knew early on that there were lines you can't cross with them. And yet he did it. So the business problem that he's in is of his own making. And I don't think it's for... You know, if the public that uses Spotify goes, I'm not using Spotify anymore. Fuck that guy. That's the exact reason why Spot and Spotify knew that was a possibility. They wouldn't have kicked off 110 episodes when they mm-hmm. signed him. So they have a responsibility to f- their audience. And if they go, we don't give a shit. We're now the podcasting thing. The music thing was just a way of us luring people in and fuck you. Then that then they lose that audience and that's their business. And who cares? And exactly. uh, I use Apple Music anyways. Um, So, uh, again, when I remember very distinctly when Milo Yiannopoulos, who he's had on his show, was given a speech at in Chicago or something like that. And they shut it down like he was sponsored by the college Republicans. And at that time, like he's now a converted ex-gay right winger. But at the time, he was just a gay right winger with a black boyfriend who was speaking at this place and was seen as being you know like it was anti-gay hate speech or something like that like the the argument against having him there was a little silly and if you listen to what his actual arguments were they're pretty easy to take down so if you're there just sit there and watch his lecture and then what you do is you leave the room with the people who were there and go well that was bullshit and that was bullshit and that was bullshit and that was bullshit and they go really you go yeah this is how and this is how and then come here let me show you and that's, that's how you engage in it. But if you shut him down, he never gets to say the bullshit. There's this myth that he would have said the perfect thing. And you were trying to stop him from saying the truth. Now, that truth, I don't know what that truth is. You don't know what that truth is, but it definitely exists. It's a secret now. Now it's Comet Ping Pong. Now it's a cabal. Now it's the untold truth. Now it's MK Ultra because it it exists out there. In my mind, there's this magic truth. I don't know what it is, but they were going to tell me. But now you stopped him from telling me. So it must be true or even still. And so it inflates their worth. So that's, I mean, and that's why we have a discussion like this. Also why we live in a democracy and why we have more free speech rules than any other country on the planet. We do. America is more committed to free speech and the free exchange of ideas than any other country on earth to, you know, and it's work. It's a lot of work. We've had a lot more problems because of it probably than other countries, but we've also, advanced more positive ideas over time and didn't get swallowed up by an authoritarian government who could dictate what's okay to say and what's not. So that's the balance we live in. And you're either comfortable in that balance in a democracy or you aren't. Republicans aren't. I mean, they believe in a republic government. They believe in the the electoral college and the Senate. They believe in a, the, the Supreme Executive Power, the Senate and the Electoral College. Fuck the people. Democrats believe in the vote. That's why we're called Democrats. One person, one vote. We believe in democracy. That's rabble, and it's rough, and it's the house, and it's smaller, uh, you know, enclaves of thought and and warring ideas hashing it out and debates all over the place. It's messier. And China and Russia are using that against us right now. There, there's a lot of crowbars in there. And what I would say also, and what you're talking about, uh, Ben, in terms of like people writing you letters or people in the chat room insulting you and the like. You are well-served, everybody listening to the sound of my voice. You are well-served that unless you know someone personally on the internet to not give an ounce of interest, concern, or worry about a single thing said for or against you in the interwebs at all, ever, never, ever, no chat room, no nothing, unless you've engaged with people over time. And even still, like if you remember in 2016, the whole story about how all these like uh, pro-black and pro-peace uh, websites on Facebook all of a sudden started tipping Trump and being anti-Hillary's a warmonger and all that, because they were all setups. Two years, they're sitting back there being I'm, cat videos, cat videos, cat videos. And then as soon as Hillary's running, you know she eats babies, right? That was, that they did that. It was a strategy. So even it's still, like I'm I'm always, I love my chat and I love the sparklers and I'm very lucky, but they know as well as I do that I stiff arm new people all the time as far as what, what I take seriously or what I take to heart. And we also, trolls don't upset us. I will say one thing, my chat room, more than any other I've ever been in, and I intentionally kind of sheepdogged people this way by barking when they got too close to the cliff, try to get people to recognize the trolls, maybe they used to have power in 2016. They don't anymore. And no one can hurt your feelings without your permission. If No one can insult you unless you agree. If someone calls you stupid, and you know you're not stupid, you don't care. If someone calls you stupid and you're like, "Maybe I am stupid." That's when it hurts. So don't give anybody that power. Never, ever, ever, ever. You don't know who they are. So who cares? And so trolls show up in my chat sometimes and nobody gets upset. We don't we don't really have flame wars and crap like that in in my chat. It it doesn't break out. And the reason is because I know better. We don't take it seriously. I do not take that threat seriously. I don't take Trump seriously. I don't take Tucker Carlson seriously. I take life seriously, real human beings in flesh and blood challenges in their fucking lives. And that's and, and people need to be hopeful and optimistic to, to face the challenges of life. And, and the attack on optimism is is violent as far as I'm concerned. And I will stand there like a shield in between you and someone's you know, attack on your optimism, because I don't know if you've looked around, but life is kicking death's ass right now. And and humanity is always moving, however messily, towards a better future.
1: How sparks words of wisdom, words to live by, right. words of motivation mm-hmm. for all the might mighty. Thank you so much for joining us on the hey, podcast. Hey,
4: thanks for having me, man. Absolutely, InfotainmentWars we, we got, we, we, have got the
1: we got deep today, huh?
4: Yeah, yeah it matters. matters. It just it fucking well matters. And I and I I take comedy very seriously for that very reason. And um and so yeah so that's i appreciate you guys having me on
1: we appreciate you we'll be right back after these messages
2: welcome back to the midas touch podcast
1: hal sparks
2: how hal is like easily we want to, maybe one of the top five most brilliant people like i think on the planet
3: if you really that that's it <laughs> it's brilliance because the range uh, the range of the conversations that he's able to have he's he's able to be really funny and get really serious and be really like sophisticated it, He's, he's one of the most interesting guests I think we ever get to speak to. So I'm so happy you jumped on. And shout out, like I said with Hal, shout out to the Midas Mighty and the
2: Sparklers. And thank you, Sparklers, for joining the Midas Mighty family and watching our show every time we air. And it's always so great to see you guys. Sparklers are the best. And you're right. I mean, the way Hal, I mean, Hal, Hal's really just a super smart dude.
1: I mean, sometimes even kind of following Hal, you know, and the point that's made like 20 seconds after. You know, I'll even be thinking. I'm like, like I'll know what he's saying at the time, but after I will like really appreciate it, i will be like, yo, that's a great point that he, that he had made. Um, a lot to talk about too. I want to talk about Trump apparently? What is Trump eating the documents now? From he's eating uh, them, he's shredding
2: them, he's burning them, he's doing. He's you name his. it with the. I don't even know. Want to know what else he's doing with the documents? Before we do that, this podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp Online Therapy. We talk about BetterHelp a lot on the show, and this month we're discussing some of the stigmas around mental health. For example, some people think that you should wait until you're at rock bottom to go to therapy, but that just straight up isn't true. Therapy is a tool to utilize before things get worse, and it can help you avoid those lows. And I've been taught that mental health shouldn't be part of normal life, which is also wrong. We take care of our bodies by going to the gym, the doctor, nutrition. We should be focusing on our minds just as much as we focus on our body. And BetterHelp has been such an incredible tool for me. Um, I just... It's so great to just be connected to a real therapist who you could speak to whenever you need to. They're there on demand. They set you up with somebody who is really in tune with your needs at the time. And I just think it's really important. Like they said, like you go to the gym to work out, you run on the treadmill, you bend, you do the Peloton. You know, you gotta be doing stuff for your brain as well. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to, and it's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over two million people have used BetterHelp Online Therapy. Once again, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Midas Touch Listeners get wait for this, 10% off their first month Ooh. of BetterHelp at betterhelp.com slash Midas. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot slash M-E-I-D-A-S.
1: Let's talk about this Trump shredding of records. So one of the things we learned from Jan 6th is when the committee's trying to get these records, we're now learning that like the archives had to go to Mar-a-Lago. One, there's like a number of shredded documents. And apparently uh, this Washington Post reports that like Trump would just shred and crumple things like himself.
2: Well, and he would like do that. Here's the thing: he would do this throughout the presidency, right? He would constantly be violating the Presidential Records Act, shredding documents, ripping them up, tearing them into pieces. And it's like like a little like child who just like eats paper and like just tears things apart, or like a little like puppy, or like you know like an animal who's just ripping shit apart. That's what Trump would do with documents across the board. And so it's no surprise that he did this with the documents related to January 6th, and documents related to him pressuring Mike Pence. And not only did he rip these documents up. So at first there was the story that there was that whole batch of documents that was sent to the January 6th committee from the archives that they literally had to tape back together. And they were able to actually recover a lot of the information on the documents by taping the documents back together. Like think about these people with scotch tape trying to line it up like a puzzle. But then the other Washington Post story came out that some of these papers were shredded beyond recognition and were unable to be put back together. Not only that, some of these papers were put in what they called burn bags and were actually incinerated. They actually lit the documents on fire to burn them. And this is a blatant violation of the Presidential Records Act. Um, I think a lot of legal experts note that there is really no good enforcement mechanism on the Presidential Records Act, which just seems so crazy to me since the whole reason why this act came to be was because of Richard Nixon's destruction of documents. So we put this law in to try to prevent that. So I think it's important that we don't let this slide and we need to add this to the pile of obstruction and another reason why Trump needs to be criminally prosecuted, criminally indicted for all of these things. I mean, that's blatant disregard for evidence. That's hiding evidence. It's not only a bad look, but it's illegal.
1: Absolutely, and um, again, should we add obstruction to the list of uh,
2: of Trump potential crimes and investigations? I think I think we've been at obstruction. I would say, like uh, like Allison Gill, like AG said on our last podcast, add it to the obstruction yeah. pile. That's that, already that's there, the better way, this is stacking You're up right. high. That's that's
1: <laughs> definitely the better way of saying it. You know, the other weird thing to talk about too, in Canada, this. Truckers convoy. The truckers.
2: Is, oh. If you look at like any sort of right wing media, this is all they want to talk about. They love convoys. Love, love a they, good convoy. And w- what's amazing about this one is usually the, the convoys come convoy from. Convoys, good. Usually the, the convoys convoy. come from the south. Yeah. Those are the bad convoys. But the convoys coming from the north, good convoys. That,
1: that that I think the stated mission of the convoys also like to overthrow the government of Canada was one of <laughs> the stated goals.
2: <laughs> That's a good convoy right there. And well, t- t- tell us more about the convoy. What is it? What's going on there? How M- many? even sure the convoy knows what the convoy is because they're being directed by
1: one American politicians who want to meddle with Canadian politics like they're not just happy enough spreading COVID disinfo here but like promoting Trump or flag rally style the mess that's taking place here in certain states in Canada is what's going down there and so you have a group of truckers who have united to form this convoy to protest lockdowns and, um, you know, spread COVID disinformation and to argue that they shouldn't have to be vaccinated despite the fact that they're going back and forth crossing the border. There used to be an exemption. There's no longer an exemption. So it's really an anti-vax. Trucker convoy.
2: Meanwhile, you have 90% of truckers who are vaccinated and who are working. So this is a small percentage of that who are out there. And many of these people, I think most of them aren't even truckers. Like you said, Ben, this is an orchestrated campaign by foreign governments uh, to try to, you know, cause some rabble rousing in Canada and foreign actors, at least not only governments, but foreign actors from America also who are helping.
1: I think you had like ted cruz and some other politicians were criticizing the fact that was it gofundme wasn't being able to like they they shut down the fundraising um for from americans to basically fundraise the canadian convoy and then you just had canadian politicians basically saying yeah, it's not a good look for politicians to be encouraging money to be used to overthrow the Canadian government like Canada's a sovereign nation and can you please stop meddling with our affairs here. Like, and it's just government. so it's it's just so <laughs> weird when you just think about the Republicans' fascination with again like overthrowing various governments, you know, and and, and just It's at the same time, too, if you actually look at these, there's also like these various rallies that are similar to what's going on in Canada um, against the government that Mike Flynn and others are preparing across the country. It looks like a who's who on how to meddle with our NATO allies during the Ukrainian um, uh, Russia uh, being on the brink of war. Like that's literally... It's, it's it's beyond the pale but there are some geo peers who have courage at the end of the day um, liz cheney kinziger who were both censured by the rnc um, the rnc called the january 6th insurrection legitimate political discourse and censured cheney and kinziger but you had Mitt romney come out here was his quote shame falls on a party That would censure persons of conscience who seek the truth in the face of vitriol honor attaches to Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger for seeking truth, even when doing so comes at great personal cost. Now, here's the thing, though. Shame falls on a party. Why don't you say shame falls on my party? (laughs) <laughs> Shame falls on the Republican party. Here's the I, Romney
2: always equivocates, dude. Romney always yes. equivocates. Romney always will he will say one thing, and next thing you know, he's out to dinner with Donald Trump. Like we've seen it before. Romney's just not a guy, unfortunately, that could be trusted. He tries to act like he's a principled guy, and I'm and I'm happy he made the statement. I really I genuinely am happy he made that statement, and I think overall it was a fairly strong statement. But I agree, Ben. Call out my party did this. The Republican Party did this. And not just don't just speak out against it, but act out against it don't then support the same policies that are enabling this don't then support the same people who are enabling this you really got to go beyond that extra step and you need to act on it the same way that Cheney and Kinzinger are doing those are people who are in the right here those are people who are really on the right side of this issue and Romney
3: he just doesn't get the same credit from me did you guys ever think that Mike Pence would have more of a spine than Mitt Romney
1: it's still a debate that I don't really wanna get. All right, right, fine, right.
3: fine, fine. There's different levels
2: of spinelessness.
1: We can,
3: we, let's on. hold that, let's give it like two weeks. We'll give it two more weeks well, before we revisit this conversation. I
2: I, I, I do wanna say that we debated this on the last show and we said, you know, Mike Pence is expected to speak out against the- uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I, and I gave him
3: shit. I said, there's no way he's gonna kowtow back to Trump. So I, I I eat my words on that one. I was definitely wrong there. So kudos to Pence for actually speaking out you So you were, you were there. wrong
2: there. I was wrong that the crowd would boo them. Pence actually got a standing ovation. But I want everybody to also note first, I want to say there's nothing brave about what Pence did, though I'm happy he said it. But there's nothing brave about telling the truth, saying the obvious. And Pence should have said this last January. Pence should have said this, in fact, before January 6th, as he was getting pressured, as he knew everything that was going behind the scenes. It would have saved this country a lot of pain if he came out then. But okay, I'm happy that he's coming out now and is saying those things. However, what Pence refuses to say is Pence refuses to say that it was a free and fair election. He refuses to say that there was no election fraud. He will not take that extra step. And to me, that still makes him incredibly cowardly, despite the fact that he made that statement. But I'm going to chalk this one up as a win. And I think that Pence, you know, as we discussed last episode— his aides have been speaking with the January 6th committee at a very high level for a very long period of time. So those conversations I think are bearing a lot of fruit. And I think Pence knows that. And I think the Republican party is starting to get wind of what the January 6th committee knows and what the department of justice knows. And so I think a lot of their actions in starting if you see these little people peeling peeling away little by little of Trump, I think the reason you're seeing that now is because they're starting to see the writing on the wall. And I wouldn't say that they're out yet. I mean, we all saw what happened when Lindsey Graham went, I'm done. I'm, I'm off the ride. We also, what happened like a few days later when he went right back on the ride. But I think right now, I think Republicans are feeling the heat and I think they're feeling, you know, are they're in a bit of a similar situation as they were that day on January 6th. Not only that, I think that That statement really rubbed the RNC statement where they called it legitimate political discourse. I think rubbed a lot of Republicans also the wrong way. And a lot of people are still unwilling to speak out about it. But there have been some other people. I think the National Review actually spoke out against that statement and said not only was it a dumb statement, but it was dumb politically. And so these are the moments that we need to pounce on. Legitimate political discourse. We should take that to the bank because... No right-minded, patriotic American will call what we witnessed on January 6, 2021, legitimate political discourse. No patriotic American will say that gouging police's eyes out, hurting them, breaking their arms, killing police officers— no legitimate patriotic American would call that legitimate political discourse. So we should run with that to the bank. We should show people why the Republican Party is so radical that we will not allow that kind of discourse to take place in America. It's not legitimate. It's not what America is about. And we need to own that. And like we spoke about with Hal, we need to also start getting energized by the fact that we now have the advantage of with the House maps. I cannot tell you how big of a deal it is of the the efforts that have happened behind the scenes to make this happen. The lawsuits that Democrats have taken against these unfair racially gerrymandered maps, all the efforts by Democrats who pushed fairer maps, which have been accepted by courts because they are not racially motivated. This is all going to play a big part. So at the end of the day, as we head into November, 2022, we have the advantage. We have the advantage. It's all going to be turnout. It's all going to be energy. It's all going to be, are you going to show up to the polls? What does this mean to you? And it's time to get energized and it's time to make it happen and save this country.
1: I'll tell you what it boils down to, Brett. Can I summarize what you just said? Demoralized voters are the worst. Do not be demoralized right now. There is much, much, much to be optimistic about. Now is the time like when you're doing a tug of war, they're loud, they're shouting on the other side, they're gonna throw fits and hysteria but we got to take the rope and we got to keep pushing and pushing and we have an edge right now. And so we got to keep on pushing, pushing and more. Oh, the one thing I just wanted to correct. Sometimes I lump all these GQPers together. It wasn't Ted Cruz who criticized GoFundMe for not uh, fostering the, Uh, overthrow of the canadian government it was his friend attorney general ken paxton let me just read what paxton said he said quote patriotic texans donated to canadian truckers worthy cause using gofundme the blm backing company went woke froze the funds and failed to deliver texans money Today, I assembled a team to investigate their potential fraud and deception. Texas donors will get justice. Go fund me. And Paul Simons, a Canadian senator, says, as a senator and patriotic, polite Canadian, I hope you won't mind if I point out we are a sovereign nation with a democratically elected government and that the idea of American dollars funding a group that seeks to oust said government might raise (laughs) some questions here.
2: And I'll say this about that that also. First, I'm going to correct you, Ben, because Ted Cruz did also speak out against this, of course, because he's got to put his nose in everything. Ted Cruz called for an FTC probe into GoFundMe for this whole See, thing. See, I didn't even so, know that,
1: but that, I, that's why I just assumed that's so funny.
2: Yeah, yeah. So Ted Cruz did. And GoFundMe refunded all the money automatically at everybody. So it's another fake issue because they just want to distract everybody. They want to distract everybody. They want to try to overthrow governments. m and to-
1: Mickey Mouse, a fake convoy in the North,
2: Mr. Patel. Potato head. I really believe what I said to Hal. I really believe that Republicans peaked early. They peaked early. They peaked in high never, school. You never want to peak early. You just don't. And they thought they were all hot shit after Virginia. And I think they're in for a rude awakening in November. But it's up to you to give them that rude awakening. You
1: know, it's important to have these important debates on the Midas Touch podcast and important to have these debates you know we talked about it the show's been about having debates in you know in other echo chambers and other areas that you may not agree with so one of the podcasts i love is called the lost debate whenever you look for news you may feel forced to choose between echo chambers in mainstream media and conspiracy obsessed alternative media That's why you should check out The Lost Debate. It's a podcast and YouTube show for political eclectics who want to escape their media bubble and engage in good faith ideas from across the political spectrum. The Lost Debate is hosted by Ravi Gupta, former Obama staffer and school principal who founded Arena, an organization that has trained tens of thousands of progressive staffers and helped elect hundreds of candidates. Corey Bradford, a progressive political organizer from the Deep South, turned TikTok star who once hosted a Fox News radio show and Ricky Schlott, a Gen Z New York Post columnist, the libertarian fighting to protect free speech. They cover the latest news ideas and trends that mainstream media overlooks. Instead of being at each other's throats, they focus on bringing new perspectives to the table in constructive debates that sound less like crossfire and more like discussions between real people. Join the conversation. Check out The Lost Debate today. Go search it where you get podcasts and YouTube. New episodes drop twice a week. Again, that is The Lost Debate. Search for that wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube, The Lost Debate. Brett Jordy really enjoyed uh, this podcast. And look, not going to shy away from more tough conversations, whether it's Dave Portnoy, whether it's with whoever. You You know, know what's nice
2: about this podcast is we speak. We have guests on who speak. We let people speak and we don't scream as they're trying to make their point and make their statement. And I think that's an important part of dialogue is allowing people to talk and not screaming over them because screaming is not winning an argument. Screaming is what people who are losing arguments do. And that's what we saw last night during that conversation.
1: Thank you everybody for listening to the Midas Touch podcast. We will see you next time. Let's keep fighting for democracy. We're going to stay in this together. We are going to keep on winning. Jordy, shout out to the sparklers.
0: Shout out to the Midas Mighty.